Hi everyone, welcome to the Sad Python Girls Club podcast. I am your host, Kimandalin. And I'm your co-host, Luciana. Let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Set Python Girls Club podcast. Hello, Kim Madeline. How are you doing? Hi, Luciana. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Today, I am excited because we have another special guest. This time is Don J. Money, the software engineer at the Jupyter Extension team, who is also the creator of the Python extension. Welcome, Don. Hello. Hi, Kim. Hi, Luciana. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Well, I can introduce yourself, but I wanted to hear it from your own words. Please introduce yourself. Um, yeah, uh, so as you've already mentioned, uh, my name is Don Jaimani. So originally born in uh, Sri Lanka, then grew up in the Middle East, in the beautiful country of Oman, then uh, uh, went back to Sri Lanka for further studies, then migrated to Australia. That's awesome. And how did you transition or end up at Microsoft? So around 2015, I was uh, at the stage where I wanted to learn Python and uh, get into Linux. So I was a hardcore Windows user and in .NET space, just that's all I did, ever did. I figured, okay, let's learn Python on uh, Mac. And so that's what I did, got a Mac and started coding in Python. Unfortunately, me being a Visual Studio user, I found the editors at that point were not the best for me because I was just used to the Visual Studio user interface and it was it was really good, but didn't work in Mac. So then as soon as VS Code came around, I started using that. It was very good, but I didn't get all of the IntelliSense or linting, formatting, any of those capabilities. As you can understand, someone who comes from Visual Studio, you're really spoiled with all of those bells and whistles. So as soon as uh, VS Code provided the ability for extension authors to publish extensions, I went in and created an extension that just provided, I believe it was just syntax highlighting. And then I moved on by providing a, the ability to lint the code. At that point, I had used the linter pylint. So I could write Python code now and I could see there were some syntax errors and I would get some warnings. And that, that really helped me. Someone as in, uh, me who was learning Python, it was very, very useful. Then I took it a step further. I was like, okay, how do I format the code? I don't want to always have to format manually. So then I pulled in Flake 8 and used that to format the code and so on and so forth. For instance, I wanted to build a debugger. I wrapped up the debugger using PDB. So that's how the original debugger was. It was actually just wrapping PDB. And uh, so over time, I found that the extension was getting pretty popular as well. And uh, I ended up adding more features and found that in the marketplace, it was getting downloaded quite a lot and it was very popular. At one point, I think it was number eight. And I can't remember when it was number eight. I believe that is when it overtook C Sharp as one of the most popular extensions. Oh, wow. And that became a pretty big deal for quite a lot of people. They're like, wow, this Python extension just overtook C Sharp. And uh, so for me, that was, it was pretty, I was pretty proud of it. I was like, wow, this is pretty popular now. I mean, then I believe in 2016, Microsoft reached out to me and asked me you know, if I would like to work for VS Code. The rationale behind that was you know, they wanted to improve the extension because they felt that if the extension wasn't polished enough, 
then people did not only complain about the extension and complain, you know, just to me as an individual user, but they would also, it reflected poorly on Microsoft because he had an extension that was like in the top 10, but it was not polished. So then people would go, well, you've got some really sloppy extensions in the marketplace in VS Code. So they were like, okay, we'd like to hire you and ensure that it's polished and done well. So that's what I did initially. And then by 2017, I was given the offer to join Microsoft. Oh, I did forgot to mention, I've got a family, a wife and a daughter. So we decided, okay, in 2017, let's move over to Redmond, USA, uh, US. And yeah, that's how we ended up in the US in 2017. And um, yeah, that's pretty much how I ended up at Microsoft. That's amazing. And when you joined, the team was pretty small, right? Brett Cannon was there. Who else? Yes, it was very small. So I believe in the Python team, it was just Brett and myself. Initially, it was just the two of us. Oh, wow. And the product management side was Dan Taylor, right? Uh, no, I believe Dan Taylor came on board much later on. I believe it was John Lamb at that time. So there was John Lamb, Brett Cannon, and myself, just the three of us. And then pretty soon it grew to a couple of more. Yeah, like we are a much bigger team now. You should be very proud of yourself for starting this whole product, right? Like we're here today because of you. It's kind of like your baby. Uh, uh, the extension, yes, was my baby, but I'm really proud to have been a part of that journey where, you know, there was no Python team. Or there was at least one small team and then I joined and then over time it grew into a larger Python team. And then we ended up having a debugger team, a language services team. And then from there, it, it got much bigger. And then we have like, as you know, there's the Jupiter. And so there was a lot more focus on Python and we had a lot more teams that focused on different aspects of Python. So it, yeah, it just blossomed really well. It's interesting that you mentioned like that it's your baby, right? Because you, you created it, but then you had to hand it over and now you're you're not working anymore on it. So how does it feel seeing it go from something you were taking care of by yourself to now, well, as you said, handing it over to a bunch of teams that blossomed around this this project? Are you still attached to it? Are you still like checking comments once in a while and release notes? There was a time when I would check the uh, check the repo. It, it as you can understand, it takes a while because you're really attached to that product. But over time, I have uh, learned to just let go. And like, if you were to ask me now, I do not look at the repo at all. The only thing I look at is the release notes to try to figure out what's new, so I can try to use the new features. And in terms of handing it over, I, I don't think I could have handed it over to any better team because it's I'm really relieved and very, yeah, very relieved to know that it is in the hands of basically the Python community. I mean, someone like Brett, who is out there in the Python community. I mean, so it's just knowing that he is managing it is just, that is very relieving. And so, yes. Oh, I love that. Thank you for the kind words. I'm sure Brett would appreciate it as well. And... Like Kim Adeline touched on, so once you migrated to the Jupyter team, you kind of had to like let go a little bit of the Python extension. But how was this transition like? What are the parts that you found to be very different or unexpected from yeah going from the Python to the Jupyter extension? What was different was the user base. Whereas in the Python extension, what we found was majority of the users were using the extension primarily for editing. They really did not care much about execution, for instance. I mean, yes, we had a few users who were use, using the debugger, but I, what 
in my experience, I found was most of the users relied on IntelliSense, refactoring, linting, and those kind of features. Whereas in Jupyter, it was completely different. Almost every single person was running some code. Hence, the user base was very different there. And uh, if you got something wrong, for instance, if the starting up of a kernel in Jupyter does not work well, then that's basically a total, well, I wouldn't say failure, but it just hinders the workflow for an end user. Whereas in the Python extension, if someone can't run Python code, that's totally fine. They can still edit it. They get completions. They get formatting. So you can do a lot more and you can be very productive. Whereas in Jupyter, you rely on the Python extension to provide all of the uh, other capabilities, but this extension then provides the user the ability to run code. So there was a big difference there. That's a great point. I feel like if you can't run a file then you open the REPL, you try like on the terminal, there are ways that you can try different things to get your Python file to work and the notebook. It's completely disruptive. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and what are the things that you have been working on that you think would be exciting to share or the things that will be coming next that you would like folks to be aware of? Something that I've been working on in the past uh, two iterations was there was uh, quite a lot of work that was done in IPy widgets. So we had uh, enabled IPy widget support for different languages. It, up until recently, IPy widgets only worked for Python kernels or Python code. Now we support IPy widgets in other languages as well, like um, Lisp and I believe Haskell as well support widgets. So those uh, those widgets now work within VS Code. And we've also improved support for IPy widgets. And since in the past, there were plenty of scenarios when widgets would not render at all. And now we've improved that significantly. So that basically widgets will work in almost every case right now. And uh, what we are going looking forward to right now is improving the workflow or the getting started experience, as we call it, in notebooks. So let's say you as a user open VS Code and you've got a notebook open. How do you go about from opening a notebook to executing some code in a notebook? What does that workflow look like? For instance, someone might not have Python installed. Someone has Python installed, but how do you select the right version of Python? Or how do you get the necessary dependencies into that Python environment? So that's what we're working towards right now and improving that workflow. I'd like to go back to what you mentioned a little bit before about IPy widgets. So when we had Sujin over on the podcast, she said that one of the challenges, or at least one of the interesting points, was that the team is mainly comprised of engineers and doesn't have that many data scientists on, or if any at all. So you're trying to solve problems for data scientists without a data scientist perspective. We heard her point of view on that. And now what is your perspective on that? Like trying to solve problems in a domain that I guess you, you don't have expertise on. That is true. That is true. Right now, I would say uh, at least my primary focus is to ensure that users who come into VS Code and install the Jupyter experience, they have the best experience for Jupyter. We call it Jupyter because you have this uh, a Jupyter application that's outside of VS Code and that uh, you can use that to execute code. What we try to do within VS Code is give that same functionality, but improve it by providing you, for instance, ensuring that you get code completions, refactoring, debugging, so you can debug the code in notebooks, basically trying to provide the tooling for data scientists uh, by building it on top of Jupyter. That makes a lot of sense. So basically kind of like 
uh, integrating Jupyter, which is already a solution for data scientists out there that is working super well, and just bringing it to VS Code so that other tools are also available for these data scientists, such as debugging, telesense, refactoring, just like you mentioned, right? Uh, source control. Uh, one of the things that I love the most about uh, the Jupyter extension in VS Code is the notebook stuff. Uh, the experience there is a game changer for me. So kind of leveraging Jupyter and extending it, I guess, a lot of these functionalities, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. That is correct. That's awesome. And well, Don, you're very known, at least at Microsoft, I'm sure in the community as well, as an extension, VS Code extension creator. <laughs> there are a lot of extensions out there that you put in the marketplace. I am a user of a few of them that I absolutely love, but I wanted to hear from you what are your main favorite extensions that you have created oh, for VS Code? My favorites, I uh, would say there are, well, I don't think Python counts anymore. <laughs> so the ones that I uh, that I still use on a daily basis is Git history. Again, this one was created by me uh, because I was constantly using the command line to look at the Git log and trying to cherry pick changes from one branch into another and uh, comparing changes. So that was something that I was doing regularly in the command line. And I just found that too cumbersome and too arduous. So I figured I might as well just create an extension that would help me. So that's something that I've, that I built and I still use it to this day on a very regular basis. The other one is a more recent extension that is the Python environments manager. I use that one to find my Python environments. Because uh, whenever I'm testing code or working on a couple of different projects, I have a couple of Python environments in a different in different areas like Conda environments or virtual environments, and this helps me just find those environments and open a terminal, activate the terminal for that particular environment. And it, I find that very useful. So I would say those two are my favorites. I think that's yeah. I believe those are those are the two. So you mentioned a little bit when you were talking about the first extension that the process was cumbersome. So you were like, why not make an extension? So could you like go a little bit in detail about like, what's your thought process on whether something is worth an extension or not? Thought process is pretty straightforward. If I can automate it, then I will automate it. And But then I guess the question is whether I should create an extension and publish it. For instance, I do. Ha I still have a few personal extensions that I have not published because, for instance, like the Git history, I found that it was arduous. And so my thought process is, okay, it takes me time. Let's build something that would help me uh, reduce the amount of time that I would spend on it. So I would build the extension and then I'd go, okay, is this good enough for users? Can they at least use part of that functionality? Would they find it useful? And if, if that is a yes for me, then I go ahead and immediately publish that. That is my thought process. Even if all of the features or capabilities might not be very useful for everyone, I have found that if one of the features might be useful and if there aren't any other extensions out there, then I would go ahead and do it. So like for instance, with the Git history back then, I believe there were just two extensions in the marketplace that had anything to do with Git at that time. One of them was an extension created by a fellow VS Code employee. I can't remember. It was, I believe it was called Git Blame. Oh. And I think Git Lens was getting very popular back then. Mm -hmm. so I just wanted to ensure that I do not, or whatever features I provide, I don't want to reinvent the wheel because I found that, okay, Git Blame, Git Lens provide all of the features I need. So, and I was being productive with those tools. So it's like, okay, that's really good. 
there's no need for me to add any new features into this because it's like, okay, if I can use those tools and I'm productive, then let's not try to put anything into this. Makes sense. Tangentially, but somewhat related, have you considered like making extensions for other tools like Visual Studio or uh, I don't know, I guess Xamarin on Mac or Google Chrome? Oh, sorry, I meant Microsoft Edge. <laughs> no, the simple reason is because I don't work in those spaces too often. If I did, then I would create some extensions. Like for instance, in Visual Studio, I had created quite a lot of extensions back when I was in uh, working on, uh, on .NET, which is for 10 years. So I did have some personal extensions and we used those uh, extensions that I had created within the organization, within the company, but never did publish them. So, but to answer your question, I don't do that. I would only do that if I feel that I need something that would improve my workflow. I guess the short answer is if it helps improve my workflow, then I would create something else I wouldn't. I had no idea you had Visual Studio extensions. Do you remember or can you share what they used to do? Oh, uh, yes, yes. One of the simplest ones was in Visual Studio and working on, so ASP.NET, we were working on ASP.NET web forms. So there are a couple of things that had to be done. So you create a web form and you had to add some code to initialize certain fields or some controls. So there was some templates that had to be set up. So those were kind of a couple of things that would be done by these extensions. I think that was one of them. I can't remember what the others were. Oh, gee, I can't even remember. No, I can't remember anymore what the other extensions did. There were quite a few. Oh, yes, there was a trace monitor as well to monitor the network trace because one of the extensions ensured that we could have a look at all of the packets of messages that were sent to a separate backend application. So we would send these messages over TCP. So this would just intercept all of the messages, decode it so we could have a look. And what is the part of your workflow that now could use some automation and you have, and you might be considering an extension for in the future in VS Code in this case? In VS Code, I have to say right now, it is, I don't think there are too many areas where I would like some automation. Probably I haven't thought about it because I find that there are plenty of extensions out there that users have already created. So back when I was creating these extensions, there weren't too many extension authors. Right now, you've got lots of extensions that are in the marketplace. Take, for instance, when you're working in the terminal, for a long time, I would find myself uh, using the keyboard shortcuts in the terminal or the Z terminal to go ahead and look at the history. And now I don't need to do any of those things because all of that is baked into Visual Studio code. So I don't need to even think about building any extensions. So I don't think there are any extensions that I really want to build. That's good. I guess like you're right. The community now is so large and we have so many amazing extensions out there. You can take a break and, you know, let other people create extensions as well. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Don, for this insight. From what I gather, you have the perfect workflow for now. But when the day comes that you have a, you know, an imperfect workflow and you need to make an extension, what kind of sad song are you going to listen to while being sad that there's a flaw in, in your workflow? Sorry to disappoint you, but I do not have any sad songs. You what? Uh, let's put it this way. I do not. I, I don't listen to music. How come? <laughs> well, it, there's a little story behind this. So back when I was in Australia, oh, well, I'm still in Australia now. I 
I used to drive to work and this was almost uh, half an hour to 45 minute commute one way. So I had almost uh, an hour and a half each, uh, both ways. So it got a little bit boring when you were driving all by yourself and not doing anything. So I started listening to music. And for two years, I was just listening to music. And then after a while, I just realized I'm just getting tired of all of this music. It's just, it got a little bit, I don't know, mundane. It was you know, the same songs and the same same kind of music. So then started listening to the radio and the news. And I found out after a while, probably another year later, when you listen to the news and you just, you end up forming opinions about every single thing. So just to be more specific, I was listening to the ABC news in Australia. So you end up having an opinion about everything, primarily when it comes to politics. So then I just realized, okay, I'm not going to listen to the radio, not going to listen to music, just didn't want to do that. I see. Do you work from home these days? Yes. So something I didn't mention is I've uh, relocated back to Australia. It wasn't really working. The US wasn't really working too well for the family. So we realized, okay, if it isn't working too well, let's try to move back. So we've moved back and we're back home mm-hmm. in Australia. And yes, I am working from home. I see. In complete silence. Got it. <laughs> the other gimmick question of this Type Python Girls Club podcast, and I hope you have an answer for this one, would be, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Don't tell me you don't eat ice cream. I do eat ice cream. Okay, thank goodness. Phew. So I am known to be very fussy when it comes to certain things, but with ice cream and cakes, I generally say that I'm a very simple person and I eat just vanilla ice cream, just plain old vanilla ice cream. I love it. You're the first person, the first guest of this podcast who has answered vanilla. Uh, I was waiting for it this day. Karthik said Klondike, which is vanilla ice cream in a chocolate coating, but uh, that's true. to be fair, Don is the first person who said just vanilla ice cream without any bells and whistles. Uh, I would not have with the chocolate coating because that's, you've got the, what do you call, I can't remember, you get these uh, sticks as well, isn't it? I can't remember, you know. Magnum or whatever, right? Yes, Magnum. Yeah, even me, I I wouldn't eat those either. It's just, nope. Why not? You take the shell away, I will eat it then. (laughs) (laughs) Really? But the shell is the best part. (laughs) Not for me. No, it isn't. I have sugar with that. I kind of feel Klondike bars would be better without the chocolate part. By the way, an update. Kim Adelaide and I, myself, did try Klondike bars after uh, the episode with Karthik. My take is that it's overrated, but it's all right. I would still prefer just the filling and the vanilla part. But the crunchiness of the shell and the creaminess of the ice cream. Not for me. Really? Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> As I said, I'm a very simple person. Doesn't take much to impress me. All you need is just plain vanilla. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, for being here with us today. Thank you again, Kim Adeline, for co-hosting with me. I hope you all enjoyed this episode, and we will see you later. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you. That's it for today's episode for the Set Python Girls Club podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon. <laughs>